welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento, helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors. Be Atento is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Tulsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment and local economic development and job creation. Atento is Spanish for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite, as we seek to embody these characteristics to all of our stakeholders. Today, we are excited to welcome Marlon Nichols of Mac Venture Capital to the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Marlon. How's life been going with uh, everything that's been going on in the world? Yeah, it's a crazy time, but, you know, kind of business as usual for us. It's, you know, help our companies uh, manage through this um, pandemic um, crisis situation that the world is experiencing and um, making sure that, you know, we put ourselves in in position to, um, you know, have a successful fund. Um, so business as usual, just um, operating in different ways. Um, most everything we do is remote these days, um, you know, which presents interesting challenges, but um, also has um, some nice benefits to it. You, you kind of touched on everything being remote. Uh, do you see this time period kind of accelerating the uh, adoption of remote work technologies and just, you know, remote work as a, a mode of operation for our society at all? I think uh, yes and no. Um, I think definitely where we're seeing capabilities tested and um, we're seeing, you know, companies um, or, or technology companies, um, you know, accelerating some of the, the, the products and um and tools, uh, you know, that, that they make available for this stuff. Um, but I don't think that we're ever going to get to a place where, um, remote will, you know, 100%, um, replace the in-person interactions. Um, there are things like, you know, building company culture, you know, and, and just the, the need for physical human interaction that is, in my opinion, not going to go away. Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's great that um, all of these new tools are, are surfacing and will um, provide um, flexibility um, so that, you know, people can be even more productive when the world, you know, goes back to, um, you know, um, practicing uh, the practice of being in um, the same physical location. So I think it's a, it's a plus, right? But it's not going to be the, the new norm, like, you know, I'm seeing a lot of talk about, um, you know, universities going more remote. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's, that, that is going to be a thing for a certain portion of the population. But I think we all know that um, one of the benefits of attending a university or going to college uh, is around the relationships that you, um, that you build. And if you are, you know, 100% virtual throughout that experience, um, pretty difficult to build um, new um, and unique relationships. So, so I don't think we're going to um, be in a world, you know, unless, you know, this, um, this virus and, and this sickness never goes away, um, where everything will be, will be remote forever. So uh, we, we, we know, you know, your, your role as founder and, and managing partner of uh, Mac Venture Capital, uh, but, you know, would love to hear a little bit more insight uh, just to your story, how you got your start in venture and, and kind of your progression uh, to uh, founding Mac. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my career has been just a journey of, of learning and adapting. 
So um, I graduated from Northeastern University with a degree in management information systems. And I, I joined a startup, um, enterprise software startup. And you know, initially, my, my role was to lead global implementations of the software. Um, and then shortly after, you know, our company was doing pretty well and um, particularly overseas, and we needed to develop a real presence there. So I was one of three people to move to the UK to um, kind of relaunch the company in the UK to service um, the United Kingdom and Europe. And you know, that was a um, two and a half, three year ordeal of basically doing everything um, from pre-sales to sales to implementation to customer support, uh, everything. Um, and then the company was acquired by SAP and, you know, that was, a uh, you know, those, uh, three, four years in that company, um, was basically, I learned a lot, right. I learned a lot about myself. Um, and the main thing I took from it was that I didn't want to be within one software company working with, you know, kind of one, um, suite of products, um, even though I was, it was touching um, many different verticals. I needed to see, I felt like I needed to see a lot more technology, um, a lot more, uh, a lot more different types of solutions. And so, um, you know, once, once uh, we're going through the sale, it was time to move back to the U.S. And I decided to go in the complete opposite direction and um, try my hand at consulting. Um, and the idea there was that I would get that breath that I was looking for. And um, so I joined a boutique consulting firm called NDS. And uh, my client was the Blackstone Group and their real estate division. And so I was leading um, technology selection and uh, shared services creation projects for them. Um, and, and that turned into then, um, you know, resourcing for the shared services organizations, et cetera. Um, and you know, that, that was going great for a while. Um, you know, I was spending my winters living in New York, spending my winters in Miami and the Caribbean at these resorts, um, just kind of, uh, building out these, um, these organizations for, um, for the Blackstone group. And, and then, uh, something interesting happened. Our um, boutique consulting firm got uh, acquired by a slightly larger one. And, and that slightly larger um, consulting firm wanted to create a strategy consulting practice that was focused on media and entertainment. And so I was asked to go um, with one other person and basically uh, build that business um, you know, for the company. And so I ended up working with brands like um, Warner Music and McGraw-Hill as they were you know, trying to figure out um, how they can turn the, the kind of the negative um, impact of the internet into something positive, right? So for Warner Music, that was, you know, piracy and, you know, how do we turn that around? And for um, McGraw-Hill, it was like the closing of bookstores and, um, you know, um, the emergence of things like Kindle and, and things like that. Um, and, and how do they, um, you know, evolve their business uh, to, to, to move with the times? And, and so, you know, did that for a number of years as well. And uh, again, what I learned was now I'm, I'm too far on the other side of the spectrum. Like I, um, I didn't particularly like not having um, real skin in the game, right? I wanted to, to, to really be a part of um, the solutions that I was pitching. 
so I started, you know, just kind of uh, doing research for, um, you know, careers that would give me the things that I really wanted to do, which was one, be around and experience uh, a lot of cutting edge technology, work directly with um, C-level executives around operational and operations and, and, and strategy, business strategy, um, and, you know, have a real stake in the, in the, in the game. So that pointed me to venture capital. And um, I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to, how to get in there. And so I went back to business school and um, I attended uh, Cornell University and was fortunate to receive a full scholarship and a stipend to attend. Um, but even more fortunate um, was that um, the Johnson School at Cornell um, had an MBA-led pre-seed venture fund. And um, I was I won the kind of the, the keys to to that ship while I was there. So I led um, the, that venture fund for the um, a year and a half of the two years of, of business school, which gave me the opportunity to really network within the venture community, um, you know, work on deals with a number of, of other venture firms and, you know, learn from some of those partners. And that set me up to join Intel Capital um, right after I graduated. And, you know, first as an associate director, then became a full director. And that was an amazing um, training ground for me because at the time, Intel Capital was um, probably the largest and most active um, venture firm in the world. Um, We were deploying 200 to 500 um, million in um, dollars per year in uh, in startups, primarily Series A and Series B um, companies, and so just learned a, learned a ton about um, venture investing and technology uh, while I was there. And um, you know, while while there, they um, sponsored me to go through the Kaufman Fellows Program, which is probably uh, the most prestigious global fellowship um, focused on venture capital. And um, what what that experience did was it opened my eyes to the fact that I could um, start, you know, my own vehicle uh, and, you know, focus on, you know, the, the types of investments that I was interested in, um, you know, and, and drive, you know, greater, um, you know, success and, um, and maybe generate a kind of game changing or, um, yeah, game changing um, wealth for myself and, and my family. Uh, so, yeah, I decided to create um, my first fund, which was called Cross Culture Ventures, which I co-founded with a guy named Troy Carter, a um, uh, famous music mogul and um, and prolific angel investor. And you know that fund is about five years old now, um, performing extremely well. We invested in about forty-two companies out of that one. Um, had uh, saw three exits already. And um, as I mentioned, um, a lot of the, the the portfolio continues to grow. About I guess a year ago, we launched our second fund, which is called Mac Venture Capital, and that came as as a result of um, actually a year and a half came as a result of um, a merger between Cross Culture and another fund called M Ventures that was founded by um, Adrian Fenty, Charles King, and Michael Palank. And uh, so we we all got together um, because, you know, it was kind of like minds. We were doing uh, a bit of co-investing together and thought that if we, you know, um, merge our operations, you know, one plus one could equal four as opposed to two. 
and you know tested that out and um, proved to ourselves that this was the way forward. And so you know now we have a much larger uh, vehicle, um, you know, going after the same um, kind of challenges and solutions that we're all interested in before, except now writing larger checks at the seed stage and um, you know being more impactful to the companies that we invest in. And so just diving a little bit more kind of into your time, uh, you know, at, at both Cross Culture and at Mac, um, could you give us a little bit of insight into what you look for in investments and what your investment thesis looks like? Yeah. So the investment thesis, we call it cultural investing. And, you know, a, a lot of folks take that and um, create their own kind of, kind of meaning for it. The way that we look at it is that um, human behavior drives everything. In our, in our world. And it usually starts with things on the consumer side that um, grow into, into the enterprise um, side of things. And so really what we're doing is we're, we're um, trying to identify emerging behavioral trends. And that could mean spending patterns. It could mean activities. I mean, a, a ton of different things. And once we identify, you know, one of these emerging trends, then we you know, kind of put it through our our data set, if you would, to see if it has um, staying power, um, because you know what is popular culture? It's it's basically a group of, um, of uh, behaviors that become social norms, um, behaviors that stick around. And so our our thesis is that if we can identify what um, highlight and identify what people, what what behaviors people are starting to take up and um, accurately predict which of those behaviors are going to stick around. Um, and we invest in companies that are building solutions that fit with, um, with those, those, those trends and, um, and those behaviors. We're essentially investing in the next great companies of tomorrow, right? Because all we're doing is um, investing where people are going to spend their time and money. And uh, could, could you maybe, you know, speak to a few companies that you think have been really successful that you've invested in that uh, you think you identified a cultural trend and, and they've been, you know, a great pick? Yeah, sure. Um, so one company or one of the um, one of the themes uh, uh, is we call it the unperfect parent. And um, this is the, the concept that families look a lot different now than they did in like the 60s. The roles of um, of family members are different. So, you know, back then, um, families were typically husband, wife, children. Uh, husband goes out to work, wife stays at home with the with the children, bakes apple pies, etc. Today, you could have two mothers, uh, two dads. You can have uh, a dad and a mom. You can have just a mom, just a dad, and everyone is working, but. What is consistent, though, is that parents, you know, um, really care deeply about their children and want to provide, you know, a safe, um, nurturing and fruitful environments for um, for their children. Um, What's a little bit different now is that parents also want to make sure that they can prioritize their um, their careers and um, have lives outside of um, just catering to their children. And so our quest, so, you know, that being true and something that's not, it's not going to come, go back to, um, to where it was in, in the 60s. We then said, okay, well, can technology play a role in, um, you know, in, 
in solving this for um, for for these parents? Can technology help them to be um, good parents um, while leading full lives? Right. And so um, out of that, we invested in a company called Wonder School. Wonder School is the Airbnb of child early childhood care. So essentially allowing um, parents or educators to turn a portion of their home into um, daycare or preschools. Right. Um, and so if you think about, um, you know, uh, say a new a new a new dad that wants to stay at home with, a, um, you know, with a, a, a toddler, um, didn't necessarily um, enjoy the career that he was leading before. Well, now um, he can stay at home by, you know, uh, creating a daycare where he's um, looking after, you know, four or five children in the same age group as 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 um, as his child. And so here he is at home, spending time um, time with the child, caring for the child, educating the child, um, while still generating um, an income. You know, and then being able to to lead whatever life um, him and his spouse or just him wants to um, after you know the uh, preschool is over or or daycare is over. Um, another company in the space is a company called Yumi, which is at its heart it's a baby food company, right? Um, but a little bit different than than some of the others that that you've seen out there, right? So they worked with you know FDA scientists and um, nutritionists, et cetera. Um, to come up with these formulas um, where everything that um, that they're producing is actually good for um, for your child but not only that um, you get it on a um, on a consistent delivery schedule and it's all fresh uh, so you know that um, one um, you are providing the nutrients that that your specific child needs you're uh, you're getting it uh, delivered so you don't have to spend time going to the grocery store and doing all this stuff and you don't have to spend a ton of time doing research to find out you know what if if giving this to your child is a good thing or or bad thing are there side effects etc um, so all that's uh, kind of handled for you so now you're um, now you're able to to, to feed your child, Without dealing with the preparation that 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 goes with that, that takes you away from spending that quality time um, with with your child. In, in addition to that, the other the other thing is that information for babies and toddlers, um, medical information, um, nutritional information, et cetera. It's it's um, it's disparate, right? It's it's all over the internet in different places. So the other thing that uh, this company does is it, it, it's gathering um, that information and putting it and in, in trusted information and putting it in one place, which makes, again, saves the parent time so that they can, you know, use that time, to, you know, with their child. And then it also gives them time to um, uh, to live the lives that they want to live. So th- those are kind of two examples under under one of um, the uh, the themes kind of under that cultural investing umbrella. One of the things you talked about is just the success that, you know, a lot of your portfolio companies have had, uh, which means that you've spent some time, you know, around some some very successful and strong founders. Uh, could you speak to some of, you know, those character and just behavioral traits that those strong founders have? Well, first of all, um, in in my experience, the, the the more successful founders, they're usually building companies that where they know the problem really, really well, right? So either... 
you know, they're a domain expert or they live through um, through whatever it is that they're trying to solve for. And, and that just presents um, a certain level of, of passion, um, you know, because they, they identify this thing some way, <laughs> either um, personal strife or um, or professional strife and saw it as a big enough problem where they wanted to um, give up whatever they were doing before and, and really go and solve this thing. Um, so there's a lot of the passion that comes with that and and competence or or, or knowledge base. Uh, then it's about I love charismatic um, founders. So founders that are able to bring people along with them. Right. I love founders that, you know, can convince someone to come and co-found a company with them or be an early employee with them before they even um, have raised a dime. Right. Because they're they're that charismatic. They're that their passion shines, shines through, and they are someone that um, people want to follow, want to be led by. And then, you know, there's a, there's like a balance, right, Um, of almost stubbornness, um, but also the ability to, and, and the willingness to, um, to, to listen, take on board information, and then make a final um, decision. It's, it's kind of the ability to adapt with, whatever is happening around you, right? I've seen founders that are just super headstrong. They have an idea in their head and basically just ignore everything that's going on around them. Markets change, um, behaviors change, the world changes. And if you're not paying attention to that stuff and you're just, you know, building with uh, blinders on, uh, then you're probably not going to build a successful um, company. So those are the things that that I tend to tend to look for. Would you have any pieces of advice that you would share, uh, you know, with early stage companies, uh, you know, maybe founders that are, you know, deciding if they want to build product or founders that are, you know, looking to onboard, you know, some of those first employees? Yeah, um, I'd say, you know, analysis paralysis is like the enemy of startups. Um, You want to. You want to test um, frequently, quickly, um, fail or succeed and, and continue to move, right? So um, you got to figure out ways to, to test things, right? And I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Like one of our, our companies is a company called Maven and the, um, the founder and CEO, um, this guy named Deshaun Amira. And um, Maven is now um, kind of a, a virtual beauty salon. Um, but it started out as a um, mobile platform that allowed hairstylists to to order. Um, it started with with hair extensions for um, for their clients and and actually participate in the product side, the, um, the the product sales side of the business, as opposed to just the services side of the business. And so the way the way it, um, it it has evolved, but prior to where it is right now, the way that it worked is you would go to your your hairstylist. Um, your hairstylist would say, "Okay, well, you need you know this color, um, this skew, whatever," and you'd put it in a in a mobile app that that gets goes off to Maven. Maven um, you know does all the logistics, make sure the um, that that hair makes it to the to the salon um, on the day that you that you have your appointment um, pays the stylist for um, you know their portion of the of the um, of the sale etc and it's all automated um, today but uh, Deshaun had to prove that this um, that there was a market there first of all 
um, which turned out to be like a nine billion dollar market. But he had to prove that without, you know, he's not a he's not a developer. Um, so what he did was he kind of hacked the system. He went to a number of salons and basically gave them, you know, the the different um, SKUs that he was carrying at the at the time, and a number where they would text the amount of of uh, and the SKU, the amount of whatever SKU that they needed. And, you know, they, they thought it was going to, you know, some uh, system that, that was just going to, you know, take care of everything. But actually, it was just going to him and he would, you know, uh, take the hair from the trunk of his car and deliver it. Right. And so um, he was able to show through that that process that, you know, one, he, he could sign up hairstylists to be a part of the um, part of the platform and be the sales force for um, for this company. And, uh, and two, that, you know, the, the customers themselves would, would use this, um, would use this, uh, this, this product. And so he basically, you know, hacked the entire, (laughs) the entire, um, thing without anyone knowing, and then went to investors and say, and said, look, uh, we figured something out here. I need some capital to, to build the, um, technical infrastructure to actually, um, do this. So he, you know, so he, 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 he hacked it, he tested it, um, proved that it could, could work. Um, there were iterations along the way that, that he had to make. Um, and, you know, now, you know, he's, he's raised, uh, you know, uh, tens of millions of, of dollars and, and has created a very unique business that um, with a lot of stay power and differentiation. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I know you're a super busy person, but I wanted to thank you um, and, and express our appreciation uh, on behalf of myself and the rest of the Atento Capital team uh, for joining us on the podcast today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with our listeners at all? No, I, I just say thanks for thanks for having me. You know, we're always looking for amazing founders building incredible companies, and um, you can reach us at macventurecapital.com submit applications there or you know request to um, send emails to, to each of us directly as well you we definitely want to hear from um, from founders and you know one thing that we believe is that um, talent is ubiquitous but access to capital is not and so we try to make sure that um, those talented folks building solutions that we care about um, can can gain access to us and um, if, if everything lines up, um, can gain funding from us. Well, thank you so much for your time, Marlon, uh, and, and have a great rest of your week, man. Yeah, same. Thanks for having me. Take care. Yep, you too. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Be Atento. Uh, you can subscribe to the Be Atento podcast anywhere where podcasts are distributed. Um, please follow us on all social media. Uh, we are at Atento Capital. Uh, and, and be sure to visit us on our website as well uh, at attentocapital.com. Uh, we want to give a special thanks and a huge shout out to Rant9 Productions uh, for helping us out once again uh, on another episode. And we look forward to you guys tuning in next episode. Yeah.